Brooke was born on November 24th, 2010, and she was adorable, of course, and appeared perfectly healthy for about five and a half to six months. She began to sit up by herself. She was rolling over for a period of time, and then that just stopped, and she started to regress. You know, as a mother, I guess you just sometimes chalk it up to every child's different, and she'll do it in her own time, and I just wasn't seeing those signs. It was my mother who said, you need to take her to the pediatrician. Brooke was 19 months old when we got her diagnosis. She had so many doctors at one point. Every doctor has their own perception of each piece of your child. They always came back to just their more or less tunnel vision of their specialty. And they were all communicating to each other, but I didn't really have one person who would just sit down and spell it all out to me. When I would bring her to the hospital, Brooke was like a exotic animal. It wouldn't just be the doctor that I originally had planned on meeting it with. It would be like a colleague of his and they'd, they'd ask me if somebody else could come in and they'd come in and there'd be doctors there from other countries. You know, it was fine, but it would be a little awkward. At this point, they said to me, go get an eye exam. So I went in and, and that's kind of how it was that day with the ophthalmologist. There was like a whole bunch of people in there and I'm oblivious. I'm just thinking we're just doing a regular old eye exam. Obviously my pediatrician did this for a reason, but she didn't tell me. Then the ophthalmologist came in and to be honest, he didn't really have any bedside manner. He just very casually said, I am seeing cherry red spots in the back of your daughter's eyes. And this is indicative of these five diseases and each one is terminal and your daughter has lost her sight. He just kind of laid it out. And of course I start drilling him with questions and he keeps saying to me, I don't know. I'm an ophthalmologist. I don't know. I'm an ophthalmologist. And they didn't do what I thought they should have done for me. You know, they just told me that my daughter was going to die, but they didn't call anyone to come into the room with me. They didn't call a social worker and they sent me out on my way and I had to stop at the desk and do what any other parent would do after an appointment. And I was hysterical and everyone in the waiting room was staring at me and it was horrible. And they brought me to a private room and I called my parents. It was devastating. I didn't know how to tell Jake about the diagnosis. So I asked a lot of different parents about, you know, how they handled it and what they said and took all that in and then made the decision when I felt the time was right. I took him out for the day, just the two of us, which was something that we not only to this day, but from when Brooke started to regress, our one-on-one -on -one time really kind of stopped and our interactions with each other were just different, you know, because Brooke needs so much constant care that I can't really focus on Jake the way that I would have liked to or the way that I used to. So it was just him and I, and we, we went to the beach and we walked the boardwalk and we shopped and we played in the arcade. 
the whole point of the day was for me to tell him. But we had such a great day that I totally contemplated not telling him because I said, I'm now going to ruin this great day. It's going to be like the worst day now. But I said, I've got to tell him. And so we went down to the boardwalk and we walked down a flight of stairs where the ocean was. And it was just him and me. And I was crying so hard. And Jake put his little arm around me and was just like rubbing my lower back. And I told him, I said, you know, Jake, she's sick and she's not going to live a long life. And he said, I'm trying not to cry, mom. And I said, it's okay, Jake, you can cry. And we get in the car and 10 minutes later, Jake's on his game machine or whatever he had. And he's talking to me about something totally unrelated to what I just told him. And that's how a child's mind works. But that was a long time ago. Now living this life and Brooke deteriorating and Jake seeing her get more sick, being able to spend less time with me one-on-one, it has taken a toll on him. I try not to tell Jake too much. You know, he is a child, but I also don't want this to blindside him. I want him to be prepared. I decided very shortly after Brooke's diagnosis, I wanted to make her arrangements. I did not want to have to think about that at the time when she passed. And so I made the personal decision to have Brooke cremated because that's what I want to have for myself. And then I started wavering. Am I making the right decision? Do I want to have her buried? Do I want a place where Jake and I can go and sit and talk to her and decorate? I couldn't decide because who can decide? One day, Jake and I are in the car and I said to him, Jake, you know, how do you feel about this? What would you feel more comfortable with? And I don't even know if he knows what cremation is, but I know that he knows that it's not being buried in the ground. And he just very casually said, well, mom, if we have her cremated, we can just take her everywhere we go with us. Because he knows that she's going to come back to us and she'll be in like a pretty box. And it was just a little peek inside a nine-year-old's brain. I don't think we're going to actually <laughs> carry her box around, you know, with us where we go, but maybe we will. Like, why not? And it just put a very innocent, loving spin on a horrible decision. You know, something that I had been sick about for weeks. I went through a period of time where I said, oh, I hope they find a cure. I hope they find a cure. But it actually got to the point where Brooke had regressed so much that I said, even if they had a cure right now, I don't know if I would want her to be cured. Seeing the deterioration of her brain and what this is doing to her body, it has gotten to the point where there will actually be a sense of relief when it's over. Those types of thoughts as a mother are really hard to have. Making the decision to put Brooke in hospice was huge for me. I think it was just a reality check. Like, okay, this is real. She really is dying. We need help and we're going to get them involved. It was like the best thing that we ever did. Everything became 
much more streamlined. And that's when I decided where my line of care was going to go with Brooke. After sitting down with the hospice team and talking to them more about specifics, I said that I would continue to give her antibiotics, but I would never do a breathing tube and that I would just take every measure to keep her as comfortable as possible and give her the best quality of life that we could while she was still going to be with us. I can't say how I'm going to feel when Brooke isn't here because she's still here. I know how I feel now. Like if I go to the grocery store, I can't wait to get home to see her. And I know that that feeling is still going to be there and it's going to be very different because she won't be here. But I do think about life later and just being able to get in the car and go to the store, go to a cookout with my friends, take Jake camping. There's a guilty part of me that is, I don't know how else to say it than just to say it, but looking forward to being able to be that mother to my son again that I haven't been able to be. So many people for so long would say, you're so amazing. I don't know how you do this. This is incredible. How do you manage this? And I would always look at them and think, what do you mean? Like, this is my daughter. (laughs) How could I not do this? I would have friends that would want to complain to me about their life or their kids and they'd start and then they'd say, oh gosh, I shouldn't say these things to you. You're going through so much. And I'd say, no, everyone has their own stuff. This is my worst stuff and you have your worst stuff and it's just different stuff. But then there's this whole other part that I always laugh about inside because I want to say, oh, it's made me so patient Oh, I appreciate, you know, my son so much more. But that is just not the case. And the reason why is because you're exhausted all the time. You are irritable because you don't get any sleep. You get no private time. You're anxious. I think it will change me. And I think that I will have a bigger appreciation for all of those things that people expect you to say that you gain out of this situation, but while you're living it, no, you don't. I've never had that feeling of, I can't do this anymore because it's just not an option. My entire life revolves around Brooke and her care, but I will never get this time back with her. This is the only time that I will ever have with her. So I just don't want to give it to anyone else. Brooke really changed me as a mother. She just completed our family. Not that I wasn't a good mother before. I was, but I became a great mother when I had Brooke. Then I became an even greater mother after Brooke got her diagnosis. She's made me proud. And for a long time, I wasn't. And she's made me proud. That's one of the biggest gifts that she's given me. And then outside of that, she has connected me with so many wonderful people that would never have been in our lives otherwise. She is so loved all around the world. She's changed other people. She's changed the mothers that 
aren't exhausted and anxious, but have children and now appreciate them a little bit more or appreciate the small moments because they're capable of doing so. And she's left a mark. She's never spoken a word, (laughs) but she's spoken volumes to so many people. 